Good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International, and you're hearing us over EWTN Radio. Our guest today is Chris Paget. He, as he mentioned in the Journey Home program, he's a former Baptist, Assembly of God, Nazarene, Lutheran, Mormon. Uh, what else was in there? I forget. The Messianic. You were just about everything. Yeah. Uh, I think the key was, though, that you had already experienced a deep conversion to our Lord Jesus uh, long before you had ever discerned an, an idea for the Catholic faith. Uh, but again, I would encourage the audience, you didn't hear your chance on the Journey Home program, if they would tune in to WTN and pick mm-hmm. up the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's replays, or of course the audio is always available on EWTN.com. And uh, Chris, uh, who is a uh, author, speaker, lecturer, professor, musician, all of that, um, as he shared most of his program on Monday night, his, his journey, just want to remind you that he, uh, he was part of the Nazarene Church from a young age, but also spent time as a Lutheran Baptist, member of the Assemblies of God. His work as a Christian musician brought him into contact with many Catholics and Catholic teachings, which started him on a path of study that ultimately led home to the church. Uh, Chris is married to his high school sweetheart, Linda, and they have nine children, and it's great to have him Join us on Deep in Scripture. Thanks. And what we often do on Deep in Scripture, Scripture, Chris, is um, on the journey home, you mentioned Scripture a lot. But with so much to cover, we didn't have time to actually yeah. look at a few of those texts. And so part of the question is, okay, what what Scriptures have played a big part in your own discovery of the Catholic faith, your own growing deeper in, in relationship to our Lord Jesus? And you've chosen a few here. And again, maybe before I mention which of the verses we've chosen, is there an overall theme of why you chose these particular scriptures? Probably because they are the scriptures that I keep going back to. And so um, I need to to always be reminded of where I've been and where I'm going. And I feel like these verses center me. And uh, and they always, there's always something fresh and and exciting about them. All right. Well, the first is Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star. Now, are you thinking of that in your musical performances or what? Uh... <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry, audience. Chris and That's I are already so talking. Awesome. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> We're already talking outside the show about our humor. Uh, but here's the scripture again. Yeah. When they saw the star. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Hmm. Now, we we joked in beginning that phrase, because now you'll never hear it the (laughs) same way, but you have always had, as you said, looking back, looking forward, you've Hmm. always had as a part of you a desire to be professional in music. I I loved music from a very, very young age. In fact, I used to pretend to be a disc jockey. So I would make all of these tapes. I'd play all the Beatles tapes, whatever I had, and I would give the weather in, in between the songs. And uh, But music has been a big part of my life. And I remember my mother even wanted me to, to, to play the piano. So I took some lessons. But I never really focused on the lessons. I would always be creative and write my own stuff. But, um, you know, I had some gifts to give to the Lord, some gold, frankincense, and myrrh of sorts. But, uh, but, um, you, but know. you know, that first phrase, I'm going to come back to this because this, I think, because I've been a musician all my life too. And there was a time back in college when I thought music was going to be my profession and, uh, and worked pretty hard at that for quite a while. Um, and that's a story unto itself. But that first verse, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There's often a real tension in men and women who um, have both this, on the one hand, the gifts and the arts, the performing gifts, which involve performing, being in front, being up there, um, and the drive and the rush that involves that, but then also experience a deep conversion, which is a call to selfless, not no longer a self focus. So there can sometimes grow a tension in their lives 
between being up front, you know, almost feeling like when they saw the star and they were rejoicing with great joy. There's that tension versus I'm called to not be about me. Now, I'm not pointing this finger at you when it is, but I'm yeah. recognizing amongst musicians, professionals, right. artists, that can be the destruction of their lives. Sure. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, I mean, most young musicians, they 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 want to strive for excellence and success. They want to get to the top of the tier. Uh, I mean, we might be really playing a little bit with some allegorical interpretations here, right. but <laughs> but I think that I think that anybody who's ever been in the limelight recognizes there's something about that that can be very enriching and f- and feeding, satisfying, and it would be. But here's the truth: is that one, I was always afraid to play my music in front of people. I was very petrified in the beginning, and part of the reason I started the band I did was because I thought if I, there would be strength in numbers, so I was less afraid going up with a bunch of guys. But um, but the truth is, is that maybe because the Lord made me extremely sensitive, even from a very young age, I'm a pretty sensitive person. I'm I'm very aware of my flaws. And so when I'm on stage and I get a lot of, you know, accolades or positive feedback, um, it, it could be very satisfying and encouraging for the moment. But all I have to do is look at myself in the mirror for a few minutes and I can recognize that I'm a I'm a deeply um, broken individually and I individual and I need Christ I need Christ in a very profound way and I feel like sometimes what happens with a lot of people in the limelight is they look at that as the culmination of what it is that they were made for and and as I tried to mention before is that I think that for me ministry expression or expressions of ministry um, are meant to be an overflow of my relationship with Christ. Not it's not the culmination of what I'm I'm striving for. Now nobody writes a song so that it can remain hidden. Everybody writes a song so that it will be heard by somebody, whether it's a small group of friends or whether it's you know a great arena of people. And it is a wonderful feeling to look out and see people singing your music. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but the truth is is that in the end. There's always going to be somebody more famous and more popular, and I think if your whole goal in life is is only fame and only popularity, you're just you're going to be in for a lot of disappointment. And I think even the people on the top tier uh, face great insecurities and, and wondering. In fact, I, I remember once a manager we had in our band who the joke was never underestimate the insecurities of an artist, <laughs> and and that is a very true statement. Um, you know, we're all given a lot of different. Opportunities to to adore the Lord and to and to live for God and uh, some people have great gifts and talents and we were talking about this earlier. I know some unbelievably exceptional mu- musicians who who they don't choose to use their gifts and talents to honor the Lord. They they use it for their own purposes and I and I look at them and I can applaud their creativity and their their um their talent, but I feel like there's something that's that's missed. And so when I see a person who's got a great ability to communicate and yet they're not utilizing that to help people grow in their walk with God, I think there's a little bit of a waste there. There's you a, know? There seems to be this this mysterious work of grace that let's if you've had the experience of somebody singing one of your songs and I, and I've had that or when I find out someone's read the book that I've written and and you hear that that mysterious work of grace is what separates on the one hand saying man ain't I a great writer <laughs> from Lord Jesus thank you so much right for that gift yeah for 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 allowing me to be somehow an instrument in that that person's changed life between right. those two is the conversion of grace. Yeah. I remember once I had a girl came up to me in Michigan and she, the band was going to play and she came up and gave me a thousand dollar check and she said, I just want you to know that I was going to commit suicide and I heard your song and my life was changed. I mean, how can I possibly take credit for that? You know, I mean, that is just something where the, the Lord was so kind to use a song that I wrote to change a person's life. I mean, that that kind of power is greater than I can imagine. 
And um, but you know, in a way, that's a good reminder for us all because we are far more powerful and influential than we than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. I mean, think how many times you've heard a word that was negative and it stays with you for many many years, or a word that's positive. Um, so sometimes we do ourselves a lot of discredit by holding on to a false humility. And um, and I think so, somebody who comes up to me and says, "Hey, Chris, thanks for writing that book, or thanks so much for writing that song." My response is going to be, "You're welcome." You know, thank God, I'm so glad because I'm pretty bad with a hammer. You know, <laughs> I'm glad I can play the guitar and and write. Well, as much as we may have been uh, going a little bit off base, <laughs> in, in but I think there's still some truth in this analogical interpretation of this because. When it says, when they saw the star and they rejoiced, they sing with great joy, of course, we know what they're speaking about. Right. But the truth is that when we go into the house, we have to turn our attention away from ourself Amen. to what's in the house. That's the point here. Yeah. Even it's from the star to seeing who's before them and did they see who was before them. Now, as a Protestant, when I read this passage, I only recognized one person in that house that made any difference to me. Right. The other people in that house were merely second, third, fourth tier players. <laughs> As a Catholic, we recognize more because it says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. <laughs> now, Chris, why this passage for you? I've been thinking about this a lot, and I feel like, you know, God could have become incarnate any way that he wanted. The second person of the Blessed Trinity chooses to become flesh as an infant, as a baby, completely and entirely dependent upon Mary. Now, this is interesting because in the theological arena, we'll use words like omnipotent, all-powerful. This all-powerful being, though, becomes vulnerable in the arms of Mary. This omniscient God, all-knowing, becomes, you know, somehow beautifully simple in the arms of Our Lady. Omnipresent is very specifically located in time. And and really, our inability to articulate how great this God is really proves the fact that he is, in fact, God, bigger than we can articulate, bigger than we can think or imagine. And yet, this great God chooses to become flesh, fully God, fully man, Jesus, changes our life. And he chooses to be associated forever with Mary, not accidentally, but intentionally with this woman. And it makes me wonder, what about me? With the gifts and talents that the Lord has given me, with my call to be a child of God, do people, when they come near me, do they see me with Our Lady? Like if I'm called to be conformed into the image and likeness of Christ, if I'm called to be like Jesus, his hands, his feet throughout the world, then if Jesus chooses to be identified with Mary, why would I not want to imitate my elder brother and be identified with her as well? I'm I'm drawn to a person who isn't mentioned in this verse that also as a Protestant we gave little attention to and that's Joseph. Mm. He's not even mentioned in this verse. <laughs> you know, but I mean yeah. when you understand and you wrote a little book on spirituality on how you you with a father and a wife and nine children with your jobs and how do I live your call to right. spirituality. Well, we see in Joseph the unique spirituality of one of his unique calls, which was not to be the star, hmm. which is actually to be as little recognized as possible. Yeah. Because his wife, his spouse, Mary, hmm. is holding in her lap the creator of the universe. And Joseph's job is to protect them. Yeah. St. Joseph is so beautiful. The more I get to know him, the more I want to to be like him. I mean, he is given the greatest responsibility of all to take care of right, God's two greatest individuals, if you will, the second person of the Blessed Trinity and the Blessed Mother. And he does it with such humility and obedience and just such a steadfast, committed man. What I love about St. Joseph is that he... Just within the Jewish construct of everyday life, he, being betrothed to Mary, really did love her. 
we, we often minimize Joseph's love for Our Lady as if it's somehow small and insignificant. But their love was so real and profound and beautiful. They don't they didn't need the intimacy between a husband and a wife in terms of right renewing their covenant vow within um, a sexual manner because they have the fullness of love incarnate now there. Like this this holy union is so profound that God is truly and actually present. The more Linda and I love each other and allow Our Lady to show us her son, the more Christ becomes present in our marriage. Like I just feel like I could come back to this verse every day and there's something about it here that will help me to see how to love Our Lady more and how to adore Jesus. Yeah, the the author, when Matthew wrote this, it, it's recognizing already that the church, of course, is recognizing the uniqueness of Mary hmm. in her relationship to the incarnate Son of God. And if if Matthew were only interested in just relating everything that the king saw when they walked inside the cave— hmm. He would have said he saw the child and the mother and the father and maybe a couple shepherds and you know a couple sheep and goats and a cow, and, but they, he wasn't telling every detail. He was focusing on Christ and the mother and the uniqueness, the power of who she was in relationship to this son. And I, again, I take the fact that Joseph isn't mentioned as even the earliest recognition of he had this humble calling to not be about himself. It's not about me. It's not about I'm the father of, <laughs> of the, the son of the universe, the son of God. No, that his calling was this humble acceptance of his call. And I think that's, again, what you were talking about in your book, Spirituality, uh, you can live with, that some of us are called not to be upfront people. Right. To accept that, to be called holy in the jobs, in the places which we've been called, with the gifts we've given. Now, these guys had, these kings had these unique gifts to bring. Did you want to go into that aspect of this verse? Was there a significance? Well, just kind sense? of mentioning, um, like your mentioning of St. Joseph is beautiful because just a couple of verses later, he shows up here in verse 13. Now, when they when yep. they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother. Again, the child is always associated with his mother. And Joseph is there to protect and to lead and to assist them. I think it's a very interesting thing as well because Joseph doesn't, he's not, he's never going to complain. He's not argumentative. He is very content with serving and protecting and loving these two. I, I just feel like if we're meant to be uh, these these holy men in our marriages, um, we're meant to, to allow Our Lady to be to be that close to Jesus in our devotion and our passing this gift on to our children. But I think for me, the thing that I've been just holding on to and soaking in is this idea of what do, what do people see when they come and meet me? You know, we're all in a lot of ways, we are all meant to give Christ to the world. I mean, this is a bit of an allegorical kind of um, sense of, of the reading of this. But but I think that that's true. We're all the recipients of God's incredible work in our life. Jesus changes our life. And he is birthed in us, and we are meant to, to right have Christ in us and the hope of glory. And we're going to give that to those that we meet, that incredible relationship with Jesus. Really, so much so that if we give someone a drink of water, it's Christ that we're giving that drink of water to. And in a lot of ways, that person receiving the water could say, Jesus has so touched me. Well, I just feel like when people meet me, do they see me like Jesus? Am I close to Mary? Is she that next to me that that people could say, you know, there's Chris. He's Mary's son, you know? Because when they saw Jesus, that's what they would say. There's Mary's son. Because he looked like her, would have talked like her, had idiosyncrasies like her. In fact, if you meet a Paget child, there's no doubt that it's a Paget child. They look like me, talk like me, act like me. Jesus, had the only human component here is Our Lady. And I love that. Yeah. So how much more am I called to imitate Jesus and be like Mary? That's a radical truth. And again, you have a book on, on Holy Mary, about Mary, Mother of God, in case the audience is interested in, in finding out more your perspective on that. The next verse that you chose uh, was Second Peter 1 through 9, in which Peter writes, For whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted 
and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, why this? This gets me so (laughs) excited. I am barely able to contain myself. Okay. Just go to that verse 8 for a second. For if these things, and he gives a whole bunch of incredible attributes, which are a lot like the cardinal virtues and things of that nature. So, for if these things are yours and abound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We all want to be effective, and we all want to be fruitful, okay? So, if you have these incredible truths, things like self-control, steadfastness, right, so temperance and, um, and uh, fortitude. You have these things unfolding in your life, right? If these things are yours and abound, and they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And that sounds awesome. And then you get to verse 9. For whoever lacks these things, so if you lack those cardinal virtues, and if you lack being effective and productive, why is it? Because you are short-sighted and forgotten that you are cleansed from your old sins. Marcus, this is it, man. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we are forgiven. And that's why St. Paul would say, I determined to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like, this is it. This is why St. Paul was constantly talking about the beauty and the power of the gospel. Because the gospel, this good news is where we know that we are forgiven. And that forgiveness enables me to go out and truly love. Love! I mean, really, to change the world because because I'm not trapped anymore in my in my sins. I'm not a slave any longer to those things that I was before. I can have and walk in abundant life, abundant living. I mean, this is good stuff. That dog will hunt. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, let me uh, push to the Catholic side of this a little differently than the way I would have seen it before because he says uh, he was cleansed from his old sins. And as a mm. Protestant, we would have said, well, that's true because what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross, and uh, because I believe in Jesus and accept him, therefore, uh, that's true. Okay. Now, Catholics would say, yeah, that's true, but there's another part of mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. Because in the sacrament of baptism, which all the New Testament books and the early church recognize as that anointing entrance into the body, that's when that happens. Yes. Yes. Through the power of that sacrament. The reason I say that is, from a Catholic standpoint, every time we enter into the sanctuary and we dip our fingers in that water, it should be a reminder of this very thing. Amen. Amen. And so he says, therefore, brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election, for if you do this, you will never fall. I mean, there is something so important. What do we do all the time in our in our masses during great holy days? We'll renew our baptismal promises. If we can hold on to the beauty of what's happened and who we are now in Christ, it will enable us to do things that, that we never thought possible. And again, those that would complain, all oh, you Catholics, you know, you think it's this little magic thing when you sprinkle water in somebody and it's a man. No, what it points to is the grace of God. Amen. That God does this to children, to us, through baptism. The old is gone, the new has come. That's the new creation that Paul talks about in Second Corinthians. And this change involves this cancellation of, of the old sin, so we're a new person. Amen. But we need to remember that. And and how do we forget? We forget because because of the world and the flesh and the devil. We forget because we begin to to lose grace through our sins, whether they're venial or mortal. But how do we gain that that clarity of remembrance? We we receive grace through prayer and through sacraments. We we begin to unpack the beauty of what Jesus has done for us, and that enables us to live different. It's really about whose we are. Bought with a price. We're born again. Through baptism. I get excited. I can barely contain myself. I'm trying to. Whoever lacks these things is blind and short sighted. Um, I mean, that's the lingering old man in us yeah. the blindness and short sightedness because the grace that changes is awakening us to new things. Right. So there's that constant battle between the new and the old that Amen. continues in us after conversion. Yes. St. Paul would say it's a, it's a struggle, right? You know, sometimes I do the things I don't want to do. You know, those are moments of being blind, blinded and short-sighted. But, but it's remembering that I, I am a new creature in Christ, that, that his salvific work has rescued me. Holding that, speaking about that, preaching that, just bathing in that, if you will. That, that's going to enable me to not fall. Just, amen. Amen. I just love it. I just think this is worth reminding ourselves 
about over and over and over again. Well, because we're in a constant battle. We have the enemy that wants us to forget, wants us to beat ourselves all the time on how we're falling so short of our Lord Jesus. We'll talk more about that after the break. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined by Chris Padgett, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. This Deep in Scripture radio program is produced by the Coming Home Network International, a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. You can listen to any of our past radio programs by logging onto our website, which also offers a wealth of information on our Catholic faith, including conversion stories, an online forum, and available resources to help you to find the truth of our faith. Visit us today at www.deepinscripture.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Chris Padgett. And uh, we're looking at a number of scriptures which are interconnected in in respect to the journey. Uh, right? I mean, that's, Amen. That's, as you looked at these scriptures, they, they relate the journey of the yeah. conversion. I was thinking about that even with Matthew's gospel that we looked at. Matthew was this tax collector, and he has this profound and radical conversion. And so when he presents Jesus, and they, each of the gospel writers will speak about Jesus in a very unique and specific way. I'm fascinated with, with the stories that he chooses to focus upon and how he, he wants us to see Jesus. And really, look at the conversion that happened in those those wise men. I mean, their life has yeah. changed, and they give to the Lord because of that radical encounter with Christ and Our Lady. And Peter is, is another example. Peter, who had a very profound change, life-changing experience with, with Jesus, and a person who struggled and stumbled and is reminding himself, I think, as he's writing this letter of 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 what he's been given now because of his friend, Christ. And that verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'm alive. You're alive. Everything that I need is in Christ, and I am given all things that pertain to life and godliness because of that incredible yeah, power. You're, you're reading a few other verses from Second Peter, yeah. in case the audience doesn't catch that the the verse that we had chosen was second peter one nine and you're looking back a little bit, which really forms the context yes, and one particular verse which I think is important, especially with the in the context of conversion and growing in Christ is verse five second peter one verse five, in which he writes for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self control and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I wonder if there's something significant to the fact that Peter's writing this. (laughs) 
Well, I think certainly, <laughs> certainly so. I mean, he unpacks here for us these cardinal virtues and um, and some of the theological virtues, right? I yep. mean, yep. virtue with knowledge, which is prudence and knowledge, with self-control, which is temperance and self-control, steadfastness, which is fortitude, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness, brotherly affection, which is justice to give to God and to others that which they're due, and brotherly affection with love. I mean, this idea of unpacking the virtues in our life is something we don't talk about a lot, unfortunately. Fortunately, but we we need those and um, and he says for if these things are yours and abound they keep you from being ineffective and, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and that makes all the sense in the world and and uh, but the reality is we're all like that verse nine whoever lacks these things is blind and short sighted and I think that this is often the case with many people within the Catholic milieu we, we've forgotten the importance of what it means to be to be Catholic <laughs> although I will say. Um, and bear with me, audience, that this reminds me of the way that I took the first part of Matthew 2 a little bit off, uh, because it says in verse 8, for if these things are yours and abound, in other words, if these virtues yes. are bound, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of these virtues are not for our own aggrandizement. Amen. They're not for our stardom. They're not for right. that. They are for the witness to Jesus. Amen. They empower us to be obedient to our Lord Jesus. They they are to cut us to the quick in any of our self-focusedness so that we are focused on our Lord Jesus. That's what they're there for. Mm-hmm. And if we don't see that, <laughs> verse 9, we are blind right. and short-sighted because we're still short-sighted. We're looking at ourselves. That's right. I mean, I think this is such a great, a great point. I mean, go even back with our idea of the of the wise men. You could say that the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh were specifically um, for for to be gifts for God, and um, and unfortunately, I think we become so self focused that we forget about the reality of impacting those around us. I mean, we're we're a pretty selfish. Uh, culture, and I think we we want our food fast, and we want our our gratification instant, and we want you know everything to be immediate. And um, but but something powerful happens because Jesus says true greatness, right, is not self gratification, but it's about serving the other. And Saint Peter, he's pointing that out to us that if you're going to have these virtues, you know, it's it's really ultimately all about remembering who Jesus is and what he's done for you because then we reach out and we change people's lives. Uh, again, interesting that, you know, part of the reason sometimes people feel a need to tell the world about what they've done is because they're feared that they won't be recognized. They won't be appreciated. Well, if I don't tell them that it was me that did that, they won't know. And the the model of that is Joseph again. Mm. I mean, Joseph's not worrying about whether the world will remember him. His calling is what is his task. Right. And I'll trust the rest of God. The reason whatever virtues Joseph was given was for the service of Mary and Jesus. Amen. That's it. I'll leave the rest of God. If I'm never remembered, that's not an issue. Right. Joseph was remembered, but it wasn't because of anything he did other than be faithful to his calling. Right. Those and kings are remembered because they're faithful to their calling. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Amen. And the reality is is that my calling um, is to my wife and to my kids. And then if if I have the chance as a collaborative family unit to do something as a lay evangelist, then we do it with their support. But if I rob my family so that I can be, quote, you know, recognized by the world, unquote, then, then I've lost. I don't, know if the, I don't know if we hold that as, a, as an important principle oftentimes. I remember when I was a kid, Marcus, I wanted to, to have a testimony because everybody in the Protestant church, you know, would listen to the person who was the ex-gang member, the ex-drug addict, the ex-this and the ex-that. All I was was a kid who went to church. I wanted to join a gang, so I had a testimony. It's craziness. My Sometimes tes- I hear that when, when I hear people say, you converts are so much better Catholics, like they envy almost. Yeah. That someone's had a horrible life and then God turned it around and brought them back rather than just recognizing like the elder brother in the prodigal son story that you've always had it. Just appreciate yeah. the great gifts that you've had. 
Thank God St. Joseph didn't have a testimony, quote, unquote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he was a man who loved the Lord and, and, and loved Our Lady, and that love has changed us all. Thanks be to God. And really, Our Lady is the same way. Yeah. When you look at all of her appearances in Scripture, it's, you know, it's not about her. It's right. about Jesus. Right. And she hurts for him because of what he experiences for us all. And as it says, she holds these things in her heart, the intimacy that she's recognizing what her son, the gift that her son was to her, and then her responsibility to let go of him on the cross Hmm. and the struggle that she felt as she knelt beside that cross. I know. I've thought about that a lot. I've thought, what a horrible trade for her. And what I mean by that is that she's there at the foot of the cross looking at her son who's innocent, has done nothing wrong, but she willingly, it says even right with Vatican II, like offers her maternal heart. Lumen Gentium, the eighth chapter, unpacks a lot about Our Lady. And and she offers that maternal heart. Why? Because she knows the will of God is to see us all changed. And that salvific act, complete gift of self, his bloodied body, his death, his burial and resurrection is is the trade that she willingly makes so that we can finally be be home. You chose another uh, larger section of Scripture for us to look at, Matthew twenty five fourteen through 30. It's the familiar parable of the talents. It's a long section, so I won't yep. read the whole section, but let me read the beginning just to give the background. For it will be as when a man going on a journey called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to each according to his ability, and then he went away. Now, most of us remember the story of what happens when he comes back, right? Yeah. The, the two, the, the five has gained five more. He's approved by the the returning ruler, um, the two has re- has invested it and gotten two more and is rewarded for that. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my kingdom. And then the one who's only had one buried it. And then you have the, uh, the rebuke that comes at the end. Now, again, why this passage, Chris? Did you choose this as a part of your discussion today? I think from this summer on, I've been thinking about this in a very different way. Um, the traditional understanding is we all have gifts and talents, right? Give them to the Lord. Don't bury your gifts and talents. Or even a financial chapter, you know, looking at just money and wise investment. But what happened was I've had a, a couple of really great summers doing conferences over the last few years. And I and I, I remember kneeling before Jesus in the chapel uh, in adoration, just basically saying to the Lord, um, like, what am I, what could I, I have nothing left to give you. Like, how could I possibly one-up myself? I'm going to have to light myself on fire to, to, to do better this next year, you know. And I just felt like the Lord said to me, this was a variety of different thoughts going through my mind, but he said basically, Chris, it's not about what, look, it doesn't matter if your talk is good or not today. I, I love you. It's, a, it's, about, it's about my love for you. And you know what I love to I've been so I've been thinking about this passage like this. What did these guys do to deserve this the talent in the first place? Nothing. Nothing. They were all the recipients of talent. They were all given money. And in a way, I think that the guy in the end is in trouble not because he would have failed. I think actually they all had permission to be radically intense however they wanted to invest it go crazy like in other words you're free to invest it in whatever way you want i think if the guy would have come back and said you know what i invested this stuff in all sorts of things and none of it panned out i don't have any money to give back to you i think the lord would have looked at that person and said well done you tried and you took that little bit and you went you know radical and and so here's your talents back but the problem is is this phrase here um Basically, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. First of all, whatever gave him that idea in the first place? Second of all, he says, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. So I was afraid. And that is the key. What keeps us from being the saints that we're called to be is fear. Plain and simple. In the Old Testament, in Samuel, when Saul was asked to go and take care of the Amalekites because of their obstinance and blocking the children of Israel going in to take the land, God sent King Saul to go and to destroy them. But he didn't. And he says that he doesn't because he's afraid. 
And there are consequences to that fear. And here we see it again with this great example that for us, you and I individually, we are given the incredible gift of God's love. So we're free now. We're free to go out and radically love people. What if you looked at this a little bit different? I, I, I am loved. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If I am loved as a completely ridiculous, you know, insensitive and selfish person before Christ, why am I approaching my relationship with God with fear? And this is, I think, our big problem. We still are trying to do something to get God's a favor. Do something to try to gain his love. And the truth is, none of that is applicable anymore. It's like he's saying, you don't have to do anything for me to love you because I am already in love with you. Just be now. Just be. That to me is radical. We're going to take another break. Chris, when we get back, I do want to emphasize the fact that one of the differences between Catholic interpretation of Scripture and non-Catholic as a Catholic, we recognize that sacred scripture is a part of sacred tradition, and Amen. we interpret scripture in the light of the bigger context of the whole book of Matthew, the whole Bible, sacred tradition, and the teaching of the church. We recognize that. So, and that's why we're, we're able to look at a verse and maybe expand on it in an analogical way, because we're looking at it through the eyes of the church. And when we come back, I want to look more at that, because it really do, I think, that the key of this is, to everyone who has, will more be given. Hmm. And I don't think the has is about the talents. Hmm. And we'll look back when we get back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Chris Padgett. And you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. EWTN.com is online with program information, the latest news, Pope Benedict XVI, plus tools for living the faith like prayers, Catholic Q&A, and other resources. Log on today to EWTN.com. The Coming Home Network International is a nonprofit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are interested in learning more about our Catholic faith, or if you know someone who is interested in becoming Catholic, please visit our website at www.chnetwork.org or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. And as Chris just said, without going into all of that, <laughs> because we, in the break we're thinking about what all the things that we should cover because there's a lot of things. But I mentioned before the break in terms of the bigger context of interpreting this. There's lots of ways that run with this passage. And I've heard, I've done it myself from the pulpit as a Protestant minister. You know, what gifts have you been given from ministry? And it's, it was always in focus on the gifts. But it seems to me that one of the contexts of what he's saying when, when, the, when the father or, or the ruler says to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Mm. That the earlier context was that they were given the talents depending upon what they had, their ability. Mm-hmm. And the ability is this unique mixture of what God has given to us and what we've done with it. Yeah, You know, you have a character, Chris. I have a character. We, In other words, our soul, the virtues of that. What have we done with it? Right. You know, have we squandered it? Uh, have we, by grace, built that? Have we developed the virtues that, that you draw our attention to back in Second Peter? That is the, the foundation upon which God can build. Mm-hmm. And if we've been able to build a foundation based on the virtues and the work of the Spirit in our life, he can build on that. If right. we squander that, even what we have, we can lose. Yeah. I mean, fear, the enemy would love for us to live in fear to keep us from being the men and the women that we're called to be. But we're told, right, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. What would happen if we really believed that the gifts and the talents that were given to us were, were in fact, those very gifts and talents that were going to touch so many people's lives for a greater good? 
But if I'm afraid that, look, I'm going to sing a song and people are going to make fun of me, then I'm taking the abilities that I've been giving and I'm letting fear rob myself and other people the opportunity to be taken into a deeper walk with God. I mean, like, the, the truth is... I'm not a muscle man. I mean, uh, it doesn't matter how much I work out. I am never going to be Mr. Olympia. Uh, my abilities are <clears throat> certainly limited to, you know, music and speaking and writing. And so I'm going to give those to God. And who knows what will happen if I just radically place them in the hands of Jesus. And that's, I think that's the beautiful truth here for everybody listening is that you all have something that's been given to you by God. What are you going to do? If you're going to let fear rule your life, then you're going to rob yourself and other people this incredible opportunity. What if those wise men said, ah, I don't know. Somebody's probably going to bring gold. Somebody's already going to bring frankincense. No big deal. Or they're bringing myrrh. Why would I bring gold? It's just going to take away from his gift. No, they each brought what they had, and it was meant to be placed in uh, the Lord uh, to the Lord as a gift, and we remember them today. It, it, we look at all the different characters of all the things we've looked at in the first what did Mary have? Well, there was an attitude in her heart that had been, hmm. of course, engraced from conception. And it was a result of her obedience to that that made her receptive to the gift that was offered her, Amen. the son. And yeah. she accepted it. Joseph, the same thing. We see the kings. They had these gifts, but what was behind the gifts was an attitude that started way back when, when they left their familiarity of wherever they were in the East Mm -hmm. to search for the coming Messiah. I mean, that was what they had. It was that openness to God. And then, of course, in Peter, the passage in Peter where you talk about the blindness and sorts that we might have, instead of just looking at the things we have in life or even our abilities, that behind those things that make us able to use those for the good of God, Peter described earlier on with those list of the cardinal virtues that you talked about, Chris. Those are the mm-hmm. things that they have that God can build on. And the talents, you know, it's it's on our ability. And the ability is more than just, I'm good with a saw or I'm good right. with the music. It's It has to do with character. It has to do with... Um, it has to do with somebody that can equally have if they have no arms or legs. Right. The character, the abilities has nothing to do with our physicalness. Right. It has more to do with our heart than it does to do with our hands. Right. Because what we do with our hands is going to be based on what's in our heart. Yeah, I was just thinking too, like I could write a song and then be voted off of American Idol pretty soon in the in the program, <laughs> right? But when I place that song into the hands of Jesus something miraculous happens. And this is what I love is that when you give your gifts and talents to the Lord, it becomes far more, it's more profound than you could have ever imagined. It's like that little boy with the fish and the loaves placed in the hands of Jesus who blesses it, breaks it. You know, 5,000 men not counting women and children. Look at what happens when you give that small gift to God. It's, It's a miraculous, you know, feeding and touching of thousands and thousands of lives. So, Based on, you've got this book on spirituality, you can live with um, a stronger faith in 30 days, a book that you've put out, Chris. And they may be reflecting on the passages, a practical suggestion to anyone listening that indeed would uh, would like to grow. My first thing would be, first of all, you are a very unique individual. God has made you specifically with unique gifts and talents, so quit trying to be like everybody else without without sounding too edgy and too ridiculous. God did not make you to be your neighbor or Scott Hahn or Marcus Grodi or Chris Padgett. You are meant to be the saint that you were created to be. And I love that, that you are given the complete freedom to use those gifts and talents and radically go out and love other people. So that's the first, be you. Don't Don't be somebody else. Learn from as many people as you can, but be yourself. The second thing is grace. You need grace. I need grace all the time. So go and read the sacred scriptures and go to Mass as much as you can. Use um, you know, your prayers uh, as a constant opportunity to, to extend and to receive grace. Be a person of the sacraments. Those sacraments give you very specific grace. Prayer is general. Sacraments are specific. 
So you need the grace in your life to be a heroic man and a heroic woman of God. Will the good. That's the second point. You need to will the good. You need to know what the good is, and you need to choose that. And the grace in you will enable you to do the good that you are called to do. And then the last point is in the moment, right? In the moment. Like, you can't say, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do the next day? Oh, what, what about last week? That's Look, you're in this moment right now. This is the moment that you're given to be the saint that you're called to, de- to be. So beg for grace, will the good in the moment. In the moment. That is the key. And part of this uh, working through our own blindness and short-sightedness that Peter talked about is looking into our own selves to see uh, how bitterness and envy and and jealousy has poisoned us. Hmm. In the story of the talents, there is no confirmation in that story or anywhere that in fact that master was what that man thought he was. Right. Yeah. The other two people didn't mention that, but this guy started to see his master as hard reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not winnow. There's no thing that confirms that. Is it possible that this was just his bitterness hmm. turning his sight away from his master? Many of us are angry at God because somebody else has and I ain't God. Right. Somebody else can do this, and I don't got it, and we're mad at it. And often the anger and the bitterness that builds within us because we don't have what other people have is really an anger at God. And we begin seeing God through bitter eyes. And so Peter says to examine our blindness and our short-sightedness and, and our inability to remember all that he's done in our life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's where it needs to begin, is right. we need to examine our heart. Well, you mentioned that, that story of the prodigal son, the elder brother who came in, and he was he was bitter and he was frustrated. But, you know, the truth is that the father came out to him and reminded him that everything I have is yours. In other words, look, you're invited into this celebration as well. This is your home. And he complains. He says, you know, you never gave me a kid that I might celebrate, make merry with my friends. And I want to say, how many of you, you know, believe that if he would have asked his dad for the kid, would he have given it to him? And everybody says, yes, of course, the father would have definitely given that goat so that he could have celebrated and make merry. But this is the truth is that we can be bitter or we can be better, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if we're the ones given only one, we are to praise God and thank God for what we have been given and then be praying and cheering on those that have been given two and five and ten and a hundred and a thousand. Amen. And knowing our part the way our the way Joseph did. You know, the way the kings did. Uh, because they're all looking really at Jesus and his mother as a center of what our faith is. Chris, thanks a lot again for joining us. Again, uh, if they go to the website, what do they find? ChrisPaget.com. You're going to find a lot of information about talks and music and books and probably some family pictures. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us, and thanks God for bless. your continued witness in both of your music and as in your speaking thanks. opportunities. And as a husband and father, uh, there's the biggest challenge, right? Amen. So thank you, and thank you all for joining us. I, I do pray that these scriptures were an encouragement to you, um, especially with... Uh, all those social networking we can be so many so connected to so many people that it's possible in the midst of that we can feel inadequate we might end up feeling feeling bitter because other people seem to have it better than i do we need to stop cut through the blindness recognizing how much god loves each of us and then be surrendering to him for his grace god bless you see you next